Welcome to the Payments Podium Podcast, hosted by the payments professor himself, Kevin Olson. This podcast discusses the past, present, and the possibilities of the payments industry. Here's the show. Hey, everybody, and welcome to the Payments Podium. I'm the Payments Professor, and I got to tell you guys, I am excited about today's topic. I've got Matt Luzader, and I hope, Matt, I hope I didn't butcher your name. I, I, I got just too much energy going. We've been already having a little bit of discussion, and I knew it was time to hit the record button. Matt is, he's an attorney, but folks, he's one of the best attorneys that I've talked to in a while, especially when it comes to, get this, we're going to talk about ransomware. We're going to talk about cybersecurity. And for you payments folks, I got to tell you something too. Matt is a CAMS certified attorney. So th- this is a guy who knows payments. This is a guy who's heavily involved in payments. He, he does some work with the uh, Payments Alliance through NACHA. In fact, it was through one of his task force that made me realize a couple of years ago, I just got to get him on the show. So everybody, let's welcome Matt to the show. Yeah, well, thank you. Thank you for that that wonderful introduction, and and most you know most importantly, you got my name exactly right. Uh, it, it is Lou Zatter. Um, I am the uh, the the managing partner of the Chicago office of Kelly Dry and Warren. We're a national law firm, uh, but I focus on the on the payments industry. I focus on compliance. I do a little bit of litigation here and there when necessary. Uh, we seek to generally avoid that, uh, but I. I I got into this this cybersecurity space through compliance, right? Because our our regulators care about it, and my clients were increasingly being asked about it, uh, both during sort of their 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 regulatory exams, and then you know they have customers that ask, and and everyone realizes this is a hot topic, uh, and, uh, and 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 ransomware is certainly one aspect of it that is really scary for for a lot of a lot of companies. So uh, there's that's, no that's doubt a little bit that. on, uh, <laughs> yeah, yeah. And I think that this is where you need to, um, it's not a set it and forget it because the, uh, the hackers are always going to be trying to find a way over around, you know, over the wall, through the wall, under the wall, and they're adapting all the time and businesses need to adapt as well. And I think part of that's understanding sort of what ransomware is at its uh, at its core and what the objectives are you know that's a great place to start too because when you say you got in here by going through compliance and it is not a set it and forget it i love that term that's one i tell people all the time you should be constantly uh, improving upon reviewing your policies and procedures but what what ransomware is is a really good um, question that i'd like to have you answer but also do do you know the first ransomware case or at least the first ransomware case i ever heard of was actually via floppy disk no way. What the yeah, way. I might have to go I'm dig up this story, but uh, there is a story about an early video game, and this was in the 80s, believe it or not, late 80s of a video game on floppy disk that if you put you know, the disk in your drive and installed it, it put ransomware on your computer, and it actually had somebody's you know, address, send a check and all here, and I will mail you back a disk with the uh, program to be able to take the ransomware off. Wow, people have been sharing and caring for uh, longer than I knew. <laughs> sharing and caring. But can you give a brief description of what you consider ransomware to be? So there's, a, there's some different types of ransomware uh, out there. I mean, essentially what ransomware does is it takes control of 
your files away from you. And it puts them in the hands of the hostage taker, of the, of the hacker that's gotten into the system. And they may have different goals, right? Some, some goals of ransomware is just your straight ransom, your straight extortion. Send, you know, 500 bitcoins uh, to this address, and I will send you the key to unencrypt your data. It's that sort of they they want to to cripple the the, the business to the point that they they pay to get their um, their their information back. Um, there's also that ransomware, which is that we're seeing a rise of that has sort of that dual function too, which is that if if you do not pay me the ransom uh, that I've demanded for this information. I'm going to put it out there on, on the internet, right? We're going to expose all of your customers information. And then, you know, dealing with me, the, the, the hacker is going to be the worst of, of, or sorry, not, not the worst of what you have to deal with because you're going to have your state regulators. You're going to have your, your plans bar going after you. You're going to have pissed off, off customers. Um, and that's uh, that's another type of hybrid um, uh, uh, ransomware that we're, we're seeing now, right? Um, you also have ransomware as, as 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 shareware out there, where the the goal of the ransomware is to populate itself, right? It's it's taking that that floppy disk you mentioned and multiplying it times ten because it's going to 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 send malicious code out over uh, the system so they can at some point activate it. And shut down more of the company's resources uh, as as uh, as possible, basically casting a wider net uh, for for their for the ransomware. Um, you've also got destructive ransomware, which is you know the whole goal is just to watch the world burn, right? And there's uh, some some bad actors out there, maybe some state actors. Uh, and when we say state actors, uh, I'm not going to point the name, you know, point the fingers in any particular countries like Iran or North Korea, but or, uh, but th- there is that uh, that sort of um, uh, desire to, um, to to just destroy a system, uh, and and that's sort of the the end game that they they want to get to is locking up or uh, destroying somebody's system there. So those are the different varieties how you approach them. Um, it d- d- depends on the particular situation. That's why there's not a, uh, to use another cliche here, one size fits all for ransomware. But uh, yeah, it's just important to understand, okay, who's doing this? And um, you know, that, that, that question we all ask when something bad happens, why me? Yeah, why me? Well, you know what is great is I, I love that you hit the main ones I've always known. Ransomware is a hostage. Ransomware is bribery. Ransomware is shareware, too. And the destructive ransomware, and I think it's really interesting, too, is you look to the history of cyber security and what we've seen in the early days, because, you know, I actually was a techie back in, I used things like Windows 95 and DOS. That's what I went to school and learned. And the stuff that would come out then was it was just to be destructive and you wanted to be able to make a name for yourself. You wanted to be able to say, Hey, I wrote this virus. I brought down these mini computers, but then it changed Mm -hmm. really there in the late nineties, early two thousands to where people are like, wait a minute, we can make money off of this. And that's really what ransomware has become today is it is a money making enterprise. I even want to say for companies out there. And like you mentioned, even the state hosted organizations, you know, not to mention any names like North Korea or Iran, because we don't want to do that. But those people that are out there that they're making money out of this in many cases, are, are you seeing that happen as well? 
Yes, for sure. I mean, the recent allegations against the uh, the the two uh, Chinese nationals uh, who were accused of, well, accused, indicted, uh, same difference of of trying to hack into uh, obtain vaccine data. The, all indications are is that they're sort of. Um, I like to compare it to like the 16th century uh, privateers out there. Um, they are doing it for profit. They are also doing it at the behest of their national intelligence organizations when it's convenient for them. But yeah, there's that, that profit motive because, you know, data is valuable and they, uh, you know, they might not be funded full time by a, a state enterprise, but uh, they, they will certainly take the money when it does come in and take the support uh, or cover that their, their governments provide. Wow. And you're right. I love that data is valuable because a lot of times when people, you know, you start talking payments, everybody's like, so they're just trying to hack in and get your credentials. And I, I have to tell them that's not always true. The reality is, especially no. if you're like a business, they want to get your business data and hold it hostage so that you have to pay them to get it back. Right, right. Well, and the other thing is too, with the, the value of data is people think like, okay, so what would they do with, you know, my social security number or my uh, you know, my, my name and address. And the, the, the thing to consider is, is that it's not necessarily using that data in the moment. We've seen this with the pandemic, with this crisis is that, um, they will, they'll, they'll just hold on to it and they'll wait for the right opportunity mm -hmm. to, uh, to use it. Right. So in Washington uh, state, for example, what we saw was, they took the uh, data that they had had for a, for a while. Who knows how long they'd had this data, the, the, the data on, 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 on folks, on individuals. And then they took them and they filed all these unemployment claims when they knew the state unemployment office was going to be overwhelmed. They're trying to get checked out the door. And they just said, hey, now's the right time to use it. Let's, you know, let's play this card, you know, like you're playing Pokemon or something. Let's play this card right now. And, and let's to maximize our value that we're getting out of this data. And they'll do the same thing with companies data, right? So you may think, oh, I lost it, but I, we haven't seen it really being used on the dark web. We haven't seen it out there. If it's out there, it's gonna be used at some point, right? I mean, this stuff is an asset and it will appreciate in value over time, possibly, you know, possibly depending on what situations arise. And we've certainly had an, enough you know, pandemonium out there that, uh, that there's some great opportunities for, for criminals. Well, there's no doubt about that. Now, I love that you mentioned Pokemon because some of the listeners know or people know me. I'm actually a diehard Pokemon player. I, it's something I picked up with my kids. And one of the things I know that actually exists in the game, too, is there's Pokecoins. It's its own currency that's used in there. And I'm mentioning that because you said earlier, people will pay with Bitcoin. Why? I mean, Bitcoin, a lot of people ask me all the time, what is Bitcoin? What is digital currency? Why do we even need it? So when you bring up ransomware and it gets so strongly associated with Bitcoin, a lot of people tell me that that's just for fraudsters. And why would they use it? Could you enlighten us as to why people would pay ransom with Bitcoin? I mean, it is, it is because it is uh, anonymous. That's the main reason. And there are, let's, let's just put it out there, there are legitimate uses for cryptocurrency uh, out there. And there's, you know, I have plenty of friends that are enthusiasts. You know, I've got my own Coinbase wallet. I haven't looked at it in a while because it was making me cry, you know, inconsolably for, for a while. Um, I've since gotten over it. There's, we have bigger problems out there right now. But it's, 
it's anonymous. It's very hard to trace. You can put a uh, put the transaction through a tumbler, and uh, e you know, e even if you could trace the blockchain, which is what it's based off of, and we could do a whole other podcast on blockchain and and, uh, and and cryptocurrency, and then all the different applications of the blockchain that are not cryptocurrency. But you know, the the whole thing is you, you should be able to trace a transaction um, the entire way through, but it's anonymous. And so that's that's where you have these challenges for for investigators um, that are trying to to track down. Okay, who is demanding uh, this payment? Who owns that wallet, so to speak, um, where the where the coins are being uh, deposited? And that's that's where sort of the one of the original I'm not going to say use cases because that legitimizes it, but was for you know black market dark web transactions, mm -hmm. um, you know, drugs, guns. Um, uh, yeah, murder for hire type stuff. Paying through that aspect, well, flip that over to 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 the ransomware side of things, and the criminals are like, "Hey, this is not just a currency amongst ourselves. This is something that we can, you know, it's mainstream enough that we can demand it from our victims that that is the method of payment, and it becomes a lot easier um, than trying to use a bank account that, yes, it's open using you know fraudulent credentials or synthetic identity, but you're still at some point going to need to be on camera, have some connection into that system to shut down that bank account that's a one-time use as well. Mm -hmm. Just this ubiquity of the technology makes it easier for criminals to use it. Which is why, you know, sometimes companies say, oh, but but does this mean just to be safe? You know, I've, I've got all the best security out there. Does this mean that I should have a, a, a Coinbase wallet? Should I have Bitcoin on hand um, to, to pay, you know, ransomware if, uh, if need be? And my answer is always absolutely not. Leave it to the professionals, because the other thing is when you're going through this ransomware attack, you don't know where the bad guys are, and if in you know they can be hiding in the system, they can be watching, they can be looking at, your, at the keys that you're using. They can do a man in the middle attack. This is where if you end up in a ransomware situation, that's when you want to get a, a a real professional in to help you deal with it. Um, and 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 you know we can talk about how you find that professional. Um, but it is it is certainly something that I'm saying don't you know don't just wade into this on your own if if you, if you have been subject to a ransomware attack. Uh, and are asked to pay Bitcoin. All right, you just unloaded some serious wisdom right there. I mean, uh, so much. When you talked about the dark web and what's happening on the dark web there, you know, uh, I believe last time I was on the dark web, I, I don't go there as often as I used to anymore because I got tired of having to reformat hard drives and all that kind of stuff and getting attention <laughs> of criminals. And I know that ransomware actually used to be something you could buy. You could actually buy software packages, you know, to go infect computers with if you wanted to. I mean, it was actually for sale. And a lot of people tell me that's not true. And I'm like, yeah, actually it is. It's why it's called the black market. They're selling the things that they can't sell other places. And um, oh, yeah. we still see that. But the thing I love that you just said is, should I have Bitcoin on hand to pay ransomware? And I recently did an FX episode about, you know, foreign exchange, how it works. And, you know, we talked about, well, there are certain times you might want to go ahead and buy certain funds in certain countries because they're so low and we know that they'll go back up. And I was sitting there thinking as you're saying that, well, yeah, get the Bitcoin while it's at a good price. So if you do have to pay it, you know, it, you'll have it on hand. But then you said, no, and I, leave it to the professionals. And wow, that made me have kind of an epiphany that, yeah, leave it to the professionals. 
but you teased us. You teased us with how do you find the professional? So I got to ask, how do I find the professional? What do I do if I am in a situation where I'm infected? My computer screen's locked up. It's telling me, call this number, send this email, send this text, send this money to this location, or your data will be erased. Yeah, so that's where, first of all, you don't want to have to find your professional to help you out with this when you're in the midst of the crisis. Have it set out ahead of time. You know, the, the best time to find your, 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 your doctor is when you don't need your doctor, right? You're not in a panic. You're not you know, focused on the crisis at hand. I always like, you know, always like to say, makes you sound older than I am. One of my sayings is that um, at high noon, there is no shadow. There is no shadow of the future. There is no shadow of the past. You're not able to sort of see the whole situation. You're just focused on, you know, the sun's beating down on you and you're just like, I, I, I've got to just get through this crisis. And that's not the best time to be making decisions, including deciding who to rate, retain for your, your, your forensic experts on this that are going to go through. So you want to check first your insurance policy, right? And that's always a good thing to do anyway. That's sort of like your, um, uh, going to your general practitioner and getting your cholesterol work done and stuff. And, and that's sort of like, okay, do I have insurance that's going to cover a cybersecurity event and what events does it cover? When do I need to notify them? Right. That's, that's a, a you know, that's a sort of a subsection of this. What we're talking about here is looking in that insurance policy because sometimes they will have a, and many times, most times, have a cybersecurity coach, somebody who's going to help you through it. Well, you want to have that person's number on speed dial, hoping that you never need to call them because they're the ones that are going to walk you through, how are we going to respond to this? Do you have backups for this information? Do you care about this information? Big question, do we have proof of life? Did they actually steal data? Because there's, you know, hey, these guys are fraudsters. They might not be telling you the truth. They may claim that they have your data, but they may not have it at all. So, you know, you, you've got to have somebody to walk you through. So look at your insurance policy. Talk to your, um, talk to your IT department. You want it to be, you know, somebody that they're familiar with too. You want to have all this stuff set out. You want to run a couple of tabletop exercises and you want to keep those updated. You want to keep them evergreen. That's important. This day and age, everyone's working remotely. Folks may not have the internet capability, the resources that they need. There may be, and look, your cybersecurity plan should not be on any sort of drive that would be accessible to a hacker. Because what do you think the first thing that they're going to delete, modify, take would be if they see it? It's going to be your plan for how to respond to them. Print it off, put it in a binder, but make sure it's accessible since a lot of folks aren't in the office right now. Um, and so that's, that's a long way of saying plan it out. Find your, find your folks either based on your insurance policy, uh, recommendations from your, you know, your security operations uh, department. Your law firm can often give you um, recommendations uh, on this for folks that they've worked for. You have to be prepared to work with the B team. Um, from your, your vendor right now because your regular person may not be available. We've seen that a lot recently where these guys, this is, this is prevalent, right? We've seen a, there's been a 34% increase overall in attacks in June compared to March and April of this year. And so folks are booked and you kind of want to know who that team is that, that, that you want to work with and that you could be working with and just having that plan in place. Okay. Wow. You, uh, 
this is awesome. Cybersecurity coach. That one just got me really big because I do a lot of coaching too. And it's like, wait, there's a cybersecurity coach and you don't want to have to call them. That's, that's probably going to be the number one thing I'm going to pull out of this whole podcast. But I, I love that. And then I love too that you mentioned keeping everything updated. We say that all the time in so many different plans. But you added there not having it on a network accessible drive. And that's one of the things I hadn't really thought about. And I know that I've seen cases where fraudsters have gone in and changed and manipulated information. So you are calling them instead of calling the legitimate company. I've seen that happen in account takeover situations to where they would, you know, manipulate numbers so that they received the callback information. But the really yep, one that's yep. sticking with me that I hope everybody caught too was the have the B team ready to go. That's this, when you go through that cybersecurity training, folks, this is the stuff you need to make sure that you're getting and your company understands so that every employee knows what to do if they think something's gone wrong. But you're right. I've been talking a lot about this and disaster recovery, pandemic planning recently. It's like if you haven't been cross-training, if you haven't been letting people know what they need to do in these situations, but a 46% increase in tax, are seriously? Yeah, 34% increase in, in attacks. There's a bunch of different numbers out there, too, that you can look at ransom, you know, ransomware and how it's escalated. The funny thing is, and maybe it's not even funny at all, but these guys follow the market. As states are starting to reopen and stuff is, is, is kind of loosening up, some of the COVID-19-related attacks are decreasing, um, but other, other areas are increasing here. I mean, these, these guys... They plan for stuff, and uh, and 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 they're going to follow the trends. They're going to follow the news, just like you see those. Uh, you know, look, I'm a nerd. I subscribe to the FTC's notification on scams and stuff. And uh, you know, the fire at the of the USS Bonhomme uh, Richard, uh, and and all like the the charity scams around that. Uh-huh. They're onto it. They know, and it's not just going to be give me money. It may be you know, click on this, um, you know, click on this link here and and download this. Uh, you know, this file, these pictures of the families in need from that disaster is, you know, a common thing just to get that, um, that, that software onto the system. Um, they're following the news and, and they're, they're knowing what's going to pull at people's heartstrings, what people are worried about. And, uh, so, so yeah, that's, that's where we've seen a, 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 a sharp increase in the, uh, in the number of number of, uh, ransomware attacks and just, you know, just attempted breaches overall. Well, you know, in other conversations I, I've had with people, I, I, I've told them fraudsters are already used to working from home, even though it's it's hard to believe, but even though in many other countries, like we mentioned the state-sponsored type ones that happen, there are people that they get up, they get dressed, they drive very nice cars, wear very nice suits, and they go to the office and their job is to commit these cyber crimes. And I tell that to people like, yep. that's not true. It, it is. Have you seen that as well in other countries where they are established organizations that are doing this? Oh, yeah. Yeah. And sometimes they're glorified in their community uh, on this. I mean, you, you look at 419 scams, uh, which is the section of the uh, Nigerian criminal code for competence schemes uh, on things. And they may be glorified in their community. Some of it is, and you know, this is a political discussion beyond what this podcast is, but they would view it as reverse colonialism, and they're taking advantage of perhaps 
you know, countries, people, obviously not that person, you know, that's, that's, that's being subject to a romance scam or something, you know, online did, you know, wasn't a, an, an oppressor in the past, but it's the justification for it. Right. Uh, and, and they're accepted in their community that this is what they do. And there are those stories out there of, certain communities, certain areas of the, the, the world that have a specialty in particular kinds of scams uh, on it. I've worked a lot in the money transfer uh, business uh, and, and certainly sort of outside of what we talk about when uh, we're talking about here, digital stuff. Uh, but, uh, and I'm talking about the hard, you know, person to person cash transfers. And you would see that there would be areas of the world, uh, such as Eastern Europe. I've sold and seen the same gold wing Honda motorcycle resold for the great bargain of $5,000, uh, you know, it should be a $25,000 bike multiple times. And it's all originating out of the, the, the same region of, of Eastern Europe on it. And it, it, you're right. It's accepted. And it is a, you know, a, it is a job. Um, certainly not a job that uh, you you and I would take or sign up for or train for, but it is uh, it is one that uh, certainly keeps us busy and and trying to keep them uh, th- them behind the wall. Wow, and it's just fascinating to realize. And I call it the Pablo Escobar effect because Pablo Escobar gave so much back to the community he lived in. They protected him, even though they knew he was up to no good. And I think that's a lot that happens there too. Is they're giving back and supporting their community, so people just accept it. Or like you said, the reverse colonialism effect. All right now, you have given us a couple solutions. You get you said the cybersecurity coach. You told us about the insurance policy. And as we're starting to run out of time, one of the things I'd like to hear is, you know, we've talked about a little of the past, we talked about the present and what's going on, but what are the future possibilities of what can be done to, well, I don't think we'll ever eliminate cybercrime. I really just don't, that's not possible in my world, maybe somebody else's. But what can you see happening? What could happen in the future to better protect people, to make it harder on the criminals to put it in a position where especially businesses or maybe even regulators can have something to be able to do to feel a little bit safer when operating online? Yeah, I, that's a great question. And I think that the sort of the top line thing that um, I, I think that the businesses ought to be able to do and having organizations um, like FCISIC uh, or you know, your, 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 what what we're known as your payments associations, right. Um, is sharing information and putting out there, you know, being open, this is the problem everyone's facing. Right. And so there may be some, uh, let's say embarrassment, uh, that, oh, we were subject to it, to a ransomware attack and it happened to us. And look, it's, it's, I, I, I think we need to learn from others' mistakes. I will certainly learn from my own mistakes, although that is not my preferred method of learning. Um, but the uh, being able to to look at what somebody else has dealt with from an operational standpoint is certainly helpful. There's also that aspect that, that you pointed out when you alluded to the selling of ransomware on the dark web is once a key is discovered to a particular ransomware, putting it out there, that inoculates that product, right? And then you're just forcing the, uh, the hackers, uh, the bad actors, to work harder at it, right? They've got to go out there and they've got to write more code. They've got to come up with, 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 with better attack methods to get around these new defenses. So if as a community we can build better defenses together, 
that's that's the optimum goal to get to. Uh, and and I think that that's where you know we need government to a certain extent and private organizations to facilitate these conversations so there can be an anonymous exchange of this information. And there are a few out there uh, right now. Is you know one of the one of, there's a couple of sites for the the ransomware called uh, NoMoreRansom.org where you can go and you can try to decrypt it if it's a let's say they're using an old version of ransomware and he's out there. Great. Great. But we need to have somebody sort of facilitate that exchange um, but between organizations uh, so we can get better together on this stuff. I, I think the second point is too there, and, and I'm, I know governments are out there actively pursuing the bad actors, um, mm -hmm. but some of these ransomware guys are, are pretty, let's say small and, you know, general rule of thumb, it's hard to get let's say the FBI interested in any, any theft that uh, in, involves anything less than a half million dollars or is prevalent um, and it is affecting more than one company. A, you should be contacting law enforcement and letting them know when this stuff happens. I think that's extremely, extremely important. We can talk about how to deal with law enforcement later, but um, here it's, it's letting them know. The second part is my point here on, on looking into the future is making sure that we're empowering law enforcement and folks to go after even the small actors because those guys can be devastating to small companies. It doesn't have to be a state actor going after a Fortune 500 corporation. If somebody gets into, let's say, a, a community credit union or something, that can be devastating to a lot of people's lives. And it's going to be a lot harder for them to recover than a Fortune 500 uh, company to recover. So I think that there we need to also consider that sort of sliding scale of of harms and impacts uh, when we're, we're when we're deciding on how we're going to allocate our resources. Wow, that is a lot, and I love it. I agree. Share the information. Work with your local law enforcement as much as you can too. Hopefully, they have uh, organizations that'll be able to help you. Sometimes you do have to go to a higher level than your local, depending on where you're at. I've seen that happen as well. And I, I agree with you on that one. I would love to see more empowering of law enforcement, more education among them too, and definitely go after everybody, not not letting anybody slip through the cracks. Well, Matt, I greatly appreciate you having on the payments podium. This has been incredible information. And uh, wow, is all I got to say. A lot of this is sticking with me. There, there's no doubt. The high noon, there's no shadow. That, that, that stuck in my head really big too. Seeing how they're patient and they waited like in Washington, that was a great example. So all of this, I can't thank you enough for being on the show. Uh, might have to have you on again sometime. Uh, any closing statements hey, or anything you want to say before we let you go? No, I, Kevin, I really appreciate being on this, on this show. I think that one of the, uh, one, one of the important things here, and this will wrap up with kind of my closing remark here, I guess, is that conversations like this are good, right? Yes. We, as a human race, do wonderfully learning from each other, analyze, you know, analyzing experiences that others have had, and then analogizing it to when we're faced with something similar. And this sort of thought leadership that you're providing on this podcast, kudos. I, I, I enjoyed it. I would love to come back. Excellent. Excellent. All right, everybody out there, I am the payments professor, Kevin Olson. If you have a question, if there's a topic you'd like to have addressed on the payments podium, or maybe you're somebody who'd like to be on the payments podium, maybe you know somebody who should be on the payments podium, then make sure you email me, kevin at paymentsprofessor.com. Matt, again, it's been a pleasure having you on the show. Until next time, class dismissed. 
Thank you for listening to the Payments Podium Podcast. Check back every Thursday for a conversation with the Payments Professor. This podcast is hosted and produced by Kevin Olson and edited by Sam Sue Smith. See you on Thursday.